This morning, what I would like to do as we are in our summer journey series, in which we're just taking a look at uh, some of our favorite passages of Scripture, um, what I want to do this morning is this, is I want to ask a question. And this question that I ask, it's not a question that I'm going to attempt to answer because I cannot answer it, only you can answer it. It's really a question that I feel like has been uh, reverberating around on the inside of me for the past couple of weeks. A question that as I, I take a morning walk before I come into work, I walk through my subdivision because I think better on my feet and I pray better when I'm walking. It's hard for me to sit and pray. I don't know about you, but my mind starts drifting to many other things. But if I'm up walking, if I'm moving, then I'm good to go. So I walk through my subdivision every week and there's just been a question that I feel like the Lord has been asking me and I want to ask the question to you this morning. And the question is this. The question is, what do you see? What do you see? As I've been walking uh, throughout the subdivision, I I keep feeling the Lord asking me this question, Josh, what do you see? And I I never heard an audible voice, but I just kind of sense it. And and I keep thinking, initially I was like, I don't don't really understand the question because I see a lot of things. You know, there's a lot of things around me. What what do you mean? What do you see? And it was just an overwhelming sense of what do you see? And what I mean by what do you see is when you look at your life and the problems and the issues that you're facing and the circumstances that you're going through, what is it that you really see? What is it that you are perceiving and understanding and observing and what, what conclusion are you coming to? I heard a story of a, a few years ago, a, a father took his little daughter, they were in California, out on a cruise to see Catalina Island off the shore of California. And as they, they pushed off the shore, they're standing on the deck of the ship. The father looks down to his little girl and she's leaning over the railing, peering out into the horizon. He says, baby, what do you see? And she said, Daddy, I can look farther than my eyes can see. Daddy, I can look farther than my eyes can see. I think that is really the essence of the question that the Lord was asking me. And it's the same way that I want to ask it to you is, what are you looking at? What do you see? And can you look farther than your eyes can see? Or are we so overwhelmed... And caught up in the present reality and emotion and questions associated with our circumstances. That we can't see beyond it to see what God is really doing in the situation. What God is really doing in the circumstance. Really, when we find ourselves in these situations, we think to ourselves, God is either who he said he is or he's not. And and if my present circumstances and emotions and questions are any indication of who God is, then he must not be who he said he is. Really, this question has come at a time for me where I've been dealing with more fear and insecurity uh, and just being tired and exhausted than any other time in my life. I've preached on rest and peace this sermon series. I'm never going to do it again. Just going to be honest. Never going to do it again. Right? I thought it would be wonderful, but I've had lack of rest and lack of peace ever since I've spoken on those things. And I'm looking at situations and dealing with emotions and, and currently and just in leading the church. And I, and I feel like as I've been praying, that's the question the Lord has been asking me. Josh, what do you see? Like I said at the beginning, I'm like, I see a lot of stuff. But no, no, no. I think it's like if I were standing on that ship with the Lord, he would say, what do you see? And my answer would be, Daddy, Father, I can look farther than my eyes can see. It's really a question of perspective. 
right? What is perspective? Perspective is a point of view. Perspective is how we see something. Perspective is the attitude with which we function in the given circumstance we find ourselves in. See, two people or a group of people can look at something and all walk away with a different perspective on what they saw. And their perspective will determine their attitude, how they act, how they view, whether they're successful or not successful to a certain degree, notwithstanding things beyond their control. But it's a, it's a question of perspective. What's our point of view? I want to make it real simple this morning and just boil it down. I think as a, as a Christ follower, there's really just two perspectives that we can have on the earth when we look at certain things we're going through. And it's a perspective of faith and it's a perspective of fear. You can say, oh, well, there's this perspective and then that perspective. Yes, there are, but I think they really uh, emanate from these two perspectives, one of faith and one of fear. And that's my question this morning, really, is what's your perspective? What do you see? What I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, is, is go to Numbers chapter 13. I want to take a look at a story that, that really not just illustrates and demonstrates this for us, but we can see it playing out in reality. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to, to Numbers chapter 3. It is the fourth book of five that Moses wrote. He wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They are historical books talking about the, the history of Israel. And what we find coming up to Numbers 13 is, is we have the, the nation of Israel. They have been delivered from being slaves in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. They lived in slavery to Egypt. God raised up a man named Moses. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. God delivered them from slavery after 430 years. And he's taking them where? To the promised land. And if you were with us last week and we talked about the promise and the mission and the purpose of God, it goes all the way back to a man named Abraham. If you missed that message, I would encourage you to go online and watch it. But God promised a man named Abraham that he would give them, make him a nation and give him a land. And this land was the land of Canaan. So this promise is over 600 years old. God has led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, opened the Red Sea. They walked across on dry land. He's fed them in the desert. And now they stand at the border of Canaan. They can look across and see the land that God had promised their ancestors over 600 years ago, a story that has been passed down from generation to generation. They all knew the promise of God, and they've been radically reminded of this promise by what God has just done for them through Moses and taking them from slavery to freedom. And now they stand on the border looking across to the land that God has promised them. And that's where we pick up the story this morning. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15 to kick it off. Here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. These were the tribes and names of their leaders. I'm just going to read their names of, the, of these 12 men. Shamua, Shaphat, Caleb, Hoshea, which is Joshua, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amiel, Sethur, Nachbi, and Gul, I guess. We'll go with that. These are the, the 12 guys that Moses selected to go out into the promised land. They are one man from each tribe of Israel. There were 12 tribes of Israel. God had divided the nation into 12 tribes, 12 people groups, so to speak. And so 
at the beginning of this chapter, we find that God is telling Moses, here you stand at the, at the border of the promised land, ready to cross in and, and realize and actualize the promise that I've made to your ancestors. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to send, I want you to send 12 men on an expedition, an exploration uh, adventure, so to speak. The Bible refers to these guys as spies in some translations. Send them out to look at the land. In fact, Moses tells them in verse 18, which we're not going to read, he says, I want you to tell us what you see. What you see, what does that mean? Tell us what you observe, what you consider, what you understand, what you see when you're there, and bring back a report to us. Tell us what you see. So this is a seeing mission. These 12 men are going to come back and not only give a report to Moses, who's the leader, but he's going to give a report They're going to, to all of the nation of Israel, over a million people. They are going to say, this is what we see. And on the basis of what they see and the perspective that they share will be the decision that Moses and the people make. They have, and maybe at any other time in their life, the greatest influence they will ever have. Because it's in the eye of the beholder. What they see, the perspective, the point of view that they come back with will influence an entire nation. Think about that. That's what is getting ready to happen here. And so they go out. But I want to read verse 2 to you again. Here's what Moses says. or God says to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan. Comma. Here's the amazing part. The land I am giving to the Israelites. That There's two words in there. It's am giving. Am giving. In the original language, it is an active participle. How many of you know what an active participle is? I do because I studied Spanish, and so I geek out over this stuff. Here's what an active participle means. It means that something is in the process. I am preaching. What am I doing? Preaching. Half of you got it. Okay, good. (laughs) Half of you know what an active participle is. I am preaching. That's what I'm doing right now. God says, I am giving the land to the Israelites. It means that God is currently in the process of giving them the land. He is the bestower, right? He is the giver. He is the one who promised it, and he is the one who is giving it to them. God reminds Moses to remind them, hey, go into this land, explore, spy it out, check out everything, but do not let them forget that I am giving it to you. I am. I am God. This is what I'm doing. Hey, I'm also the God that brought you out of Egypt, that split the Red Sea, that put a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day to lead you to this point. That's who I am, and this is what I am doing. I am giving this land to you. So God gives them a perspective of faith before they ever go. And so after Moses commissions them, the 12 of these men go. I'm going to read to you the report because they come back with a report, okay? After 40 days, they are in the, in the land spying it out for 40 days. Verses 25 through 33 is the report that they bring back. Actually, it's the report of 10. We're going to see that there's a bit of a division between these spies, these men. There's 10 versus 2, 84% versus 16%. Here's what they say. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to, uh, returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported the whole, to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. 
We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But, but, but the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, the Amalekites that live in the Negev, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, along the Jordan Valley. Verse 30. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. Here's what they said. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Enoch. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. So we have this report. This report starts off really good. You get to verse 27, and you hear what these guys say. They say, hey, the land that we went to, that you sent us to, Moses, remember the land that that God is giving us is bountiful. And then they use this phrase, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, if you know scripture, and if you've read any of the Old Testament, you know that is the key phrase in describing the promised land, right? A land flowing with milk and honey. That's what God used to describe it. What's that mean? It just means it is bountiful in resources. It is abundant. It is rich. It will have everything that they need. And these guys verify that. Not only that, they say, look, here's the fruit. We brought back the fruit for you to see how bountiful and how good the land really is. So on one hand, these guys are acknowledging the faithfulness of God, the faithful promise of God. And you're thinking, that is excellent. They see what God wants them to see. But then verse 28, there is a but. Really, some translations say this. Nevertheless, what does it mean? It means despite all of that. That's literally what it means. But despite all of that, all of what? Despite all of God's faithfulness. Despite God's faithful promise, despite that what God said it would have, it has. And what God said it is, it is. Despite all of that, they say, but. In this moment, they are forced to make a decision and 10 make the decision to have a perspective, a point of view of fear. They cannot see farther than their eyes can look. Or they cannot look farther than their eyes can see. Because then they go up and they, and they say this stuff like, oh man, no, 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 no. These people live in big cities and, and they're descendants of this person and then they, they're giants, right? And next to them, we felt like grasshoppers and they thought so too. Well, how do you know? None of that can be verified, right? None of that is, has ever been verified looking beyond it. What were these guys speaking out of? They were speaking out of fear, You say, well, what's the difference between faith and fear? Okay, here's what faith is. The Bible defines faith like this. It is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's Hebrews 11, right? Substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. What does that mean? Basically, here's what faith is. The ability to look farther than your eyes can see. That's what faith is. To look farther farther than your eyes can see. What's fear? Fear is the exact opposite of faith. Fear can never see beyond itself. Fear can never consider anything beyond itself. Fear only focuses on the moment and how you feel. 
and it creates a reality for you. And you immediately go into self-preservation. On one hand, that's a really good mechanism that God gave us, right? Standing on the edge of the cliff, fearing if I fall, I will die. Great, listen to that. When your physical eyes can't see farther than you can look, don't take a step. That's good, right? But on the other hand, fear paralyzes, fear cripples. Fear is not of God. How do we know that? God said, I will not... I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Perfect love casts out all fear. Fear is not of faith. Anything that is not of faith does not please God. God does not work through fear. You will never, ever experience the fullness of what God has for you if you have a perspective of fear. These men chose fear. They couldn't see beyond the moment. And that's what they tell these people. 84% of the spies tell Moses, Aaron, and all of the Israelites, we can't do it. Yeah, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's got everything that we need. But nevertheless, despite all of that, despite God's faithfulness, despite the fact that 40 days ago, God said he was giving it to us, that he was in the process of doing it. We can't do it. Why? Really what they should have said is we're afraid. That's why we can't do it. We're afraid. And there's no way we can do it. And, and, and it said in there that they went around and spread this report. So you got these 10 guys who didn't just give it like in an amphitheater. They're going around to all their different f- tribal friends, you know, and saying, hey, no, no, we can't do it. We can't do it. Don't listen. Don't listen to the other two. We can't do it. We can't do it. Right? They're just gossiping about it. Why? Because they're afraid. Why? Because fear forces you to make a decision right now because you feel so much stuff. Right? And the feelings become so real. And you're just like, I got to deal with the emotion. I got to deal with the fear. And so you do something that you think is right, but in the end, it's not really right because here's the thing about fear. You ready? Fear always causes you to do what you fear the most. It's a self fulfilling prophecy. Fear always causes you to do what you fear the most. You ever seen people parent out of fear? Well, maybe we won't say that because that's what we do. That's what I do. You ever see people make decisions when they're afraid and it doesn't seem like there's any logic to them? And it doesn't seem like they've considered anything else but yet themselves in the moment? Are people that are constantly living afraid, you just don't want to be around them, right? Because so much negativity spills out of them and, and they are living and creating the environment that they don't want to live in or the person, they're becoming the person they don't want to be. Why? Because fear causes you to do that. God doesn't operate through that. And that's what these guys are doing. And I love it that in the middle of this speech these guys are giving, Caleb stands up, right? Caleb says, hey, be quiet. Bible says he tries to quiet them down. No, 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 we can do it. It is a good land and God will give it to us. We have to go in now because we can do it. And then Joshua in chapter 14, here's what he says. I want to read, jump to 14 and read six through nine. It says, two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to the people of Israel, here's what Joshua said, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And one translation says, an exceedingly good land. Like he can't even think of a better word than good. So he says, it's a good, excellent, great, wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. It is rich. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. 
Do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But that's just 16%. The 10, the majority are saying something different. Isn't that often how life is? When we're trying to make a decision and we're going around getting some advice from people, doesn't it seem like the majority are full of fear? Oh, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Yeah, Yeah, like, you know, I mean, you know, this could happen and that could happen. I don't know. And you're in a pretty good spot. And some of it, it's from a good heart. I'm not saying it's always wrong. But then you get a few people that really speak life into you and say, hey, I think you should do this. I think it's a good opportunity. And then you come home and you're sitting down like, okay, who should I listen to? This or this? And you have to work through it. You know, before I became the pastor of this church, I sat down with people that I respect and said, hey, what do you think? And a majority of people told me not to do it. They did. Like, hey, I don't think it's a good situation for you. I think where you're working now is good and you don't know how it's going to t- turn out. Transitions are hard. They were right about that. Transitions are hard. I don't, I don't think you should do it, Josh. And then I sat down with some people who just spoke life into me and said, hey, this is what God is calling you to do. He's like, Joshua, don't be afraid. God's going to take care of it. And you're sitting there thinking like, yeah, I agree with that, but that sounds like stupid advice. The fear sounded like good advice. Why? Because it made me feel better. But yet I knew that God had called me to this. I knew that God had spoken to Lauren and I to take a step of faith and to go forward and had to step back and say, what perspective will I have? A perspective of faith or a perspective of fear? And that's the decision that these Israelites are forced to make. The ten tell them, no, 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 we can't do it. Two stand up and say, no, this is what God has done. This is what God has said. The two said, this is what we see. They, two out of ten, could look farther than their eyes could see. They saw the land flowing with milk and honey. They saw all of that. And yet they saw the giants. They saw the fortified cities. They saw the same thing, but they chose to look beyond that to see that God was with them, that God would protect them, and that God was giving it to them. See, here's the thing some of us push back with faith on. We think that faith doesn't consider the reality. No, no, no. Faith considers the reality. Faith considers the contingencies and all of that. And yet it makes a decision in spite of that. So some people say, well, if you just walk in faith, you're just being blind. No, 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 no. Faith is not blind. It is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. It is looking farther than our eyes can see. That's what faith is. And so back to our story, they've been presented with these two stories, these two visions of what they saw. Because Moses said in verse 18 of chapter 13, hey, come back and tell us what you see. And so here's what the Israelites do. The Israelites get so mad at Joshua and Caleb in chapter 14 that they say, let's stone them and kill them. They're picking up rocks. They're ready to kill Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because they're talking crazy talk. Like, no, 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 we we ain't going in there. And here's what their conclusion they come to. They tell this to Moses. Hey, we would have been better off to stay in Egypt and die as slaves. That's what they say. We would have been better off to stay in Egypt and die as slaves, that would have been better than what we don't know what's going to happen now. See, whenever we're presented with fearful situations, we often choose uh, to maintain what we have or go back to what we had. 
right? Because it's known, right? I will choose what I know over what I don't know, even if what I know is uncomfortable, is dysfunctional, is not the best. Why? Because I know it. I'm comfortable with it. I'm acquainted with it. Whereas faith says, no, 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 I'm going to lead you into something better. It's going to be difficult. There will be a journey there. There will be times and situations and circumstances and emotions and questions that you feel and have that you don't understand, but that doesn't negate or nullify what I'm doing in your life. And faith walks its way through that because it can look farther than the eyes can see. Whereas fear keeps us back here. Fear wants us to maintain. You know, God isn't interested in maintaining. I mean, you go back, you say, how do you know that? Because the very first command that God had was not a a command to simply maintain the garden or maintain the earth. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill it up. Be fruitful and multiply. Grow this thing. Here's what I've given you. Now go and grow it and fill it up. I've put way more inside of you that's going to come out throughout your life. And I want you to experience that and explore that and grow and fill it up. And then we see Jesus, the parable of the talents, right? He gives these talents out to uh, these, these men and, and, and he says, I'm going to go on a trip and come back. And one guy takes a talent and buries it in the ground and the other guy multiplies it and the other guy multiplies his and the master comes back and to the first guy, he's like, hey, I had this amount and now I have this, excellent. Hey, sent the next guy, me too. And then the dude that put it in the ground, he said, well, well, why didn't you do anything with it? He said, because I was afraid that you would be mad at me. So I buried it and now I kept it safe for you. And what did the master do? He got angry. Why? Because he misused and wasn't a proper steward of what God has given him. And he made a decision out of fear, not of faith. God isn't interested in us taking what we have in our lives and burying it in the ground because we're afraid. God does not operate through fear. God does not motivate through fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. God gives us a perspective or a point of view of faith. Inherent to following God is risk. Nobody got excited about that. How many entrepreneurs I got in the room? Inherent to following God is risk, is trust, is taking a step of faith. Inherent to following God is saying, I'm willing to adopt a perspective that says I can look farther than my eyes can see. The Israelites couldn't do that. They could not look farther than they could see. And you know what happened? God got angry. He got so angry, in fact, that he took care of the 10 spies right there on the spot. Boom, gave them a plague, they died. The rest of Israel, anybody 20 or older, was denied access to the promised land. And the children of Israel had to wander in the desert for 40 years until that generation died off. So that that fearful generation had to be gone before a faith-filled generation could arise and go into the promised land that God had for them. Joshua and Caleb, they got to go. Why? Because they had some faith. They got to go in. In fact, Joshua led them in because not even Moses could go in because of something else that he did. What we see in this story is that fear, this desire to maintain and to go back to what they had, kept them from realizing the promises that God had for them. It wasn't that God didn't want to give it to them because at the very beginning, I am giving them this land. God gave it to them because he's good and he's faithful. And he had a covenant of grace with his people and Abraham. 
God promised it long ago. But fear kept them from getting to the promised land because they could not look farther than their eyes could see. They could not realize what God had for them. Some of us in here this morning, we've been praying about stuff and and we've been asking God to do things and we're not seeing it. And part of the reality is, is because we're living in fear. I'm not saying that God is punishing you because of that. God has already done it in Jesus. All right? He's done it by grace. We just can't live in grace while we're living in fear. It doesn't work. I can't, and that doesn't mean I can't feel fearful, but when I'm choosing to live under a mindset or a perspective of fear, I can't see anything than what is right in front of me. I can only look at situations that are right in front of me and respond accordingly, and fear will drive a response. Here's what it does for me. It makes me want to be a people pleaser. Makes me want to just do whatever I need to do so that someone will like me or, or that maybe it's not that they don't like me, but I want them to like me more. I want them to agree with me. I have this intense desire for harmony. It's actually part of my personality. You know, I just, I like things to be harmonious. I like people to like me. Some of you don't really care about that. And I, man, I admire you. I'm serious. Some of you are just okay with people not liking you. And I think that's wonderful because it can get a little unhealthy for me. Or if there's a situation that I, I, I want to fix and I can't, what I want to do is, is I want to control it, and fear also makes us want to control. I, th- I find it interesting that, at least in my own life, I don't know if this is the same for you, that whenever I, I encounter difficulty or something goes different than what I thought it would, that's when I shift from having faith to having fear. That's when I shift from trusting in God to trusting in myself, and I start grabbing for control over things. I mean, I'm not really going to control it. I'm going to make it worse, right? That's what happens typically. That's what fear does. It pushes me out of the realm of trust, out of the realm of faith, into this realm of self-dependency and self-trust, and that I end up worse than where I began if I would have just saw the issue in front of me and step back and say, God, I need some faith. I, I need right now the ability to look beyond what my eyes can see. That's faith. These, these Israelites who came out of Egypt, they were, they were never able to get in. You see, they were, they, were, they were physically free from being slaves. But they were mentally and emotionally still enslaved back in Egypt. They never left. They never left Egypt. And they were standing on the, on the border of all that God had promised them, of a nation, a land, to be their own, to be independent. And they could not see it because they were afraid. You say, well, well what does this mean for us? Well, I just want to share this real quick. It's another one of our values. And this value doesn't just work corporately in here. As, as far as your organization is concerned, this value will work in your life. And it's this value right here. It's this value that says we don't maintain, we multiply. As a church, faith community, we don't maintain, we multiply. We can't afford to maintain. You can't afford to maintain in your life. God's highest calling for you is not maintenance. God is not looking for you to maintain your life. God is looking to multiply your life in many different directions. Yes, take care of your family. Yes, go to work. All of that stuff. That's just common sense, okay? But God doesn't want you to stay right where you are. 
God is wanting you to take a step of faith. The next thing that he's called you to do, he wants you to risk something. He wants you to step out and dream a little bit. He wants you to see or to look farther than your eyes can see. Isn't it amazing? I think of Martin Luther King when he stood up on those steps and he gave a speech. He did not say, I have a plan, did he? He said, I have a what? Dream. What's a dream? It's seeing. He said, I have a dream. I have a dream. I have a dream. It's one of those powerful speeches in modern day history. He said, why? He could see. He wasn't interested in maintaining the status quo. He counted the cost. He understood what it would mean. He sacrificed, paid with his life. Others sacrificed. But he could see. He wasn't interested in maintaining. He was multiplying. I want to go so far as to say this. I believe that our community depends on us multiplying. Depends on us having a perspective of faith. Because fear maintains and faith multiplies. Our People's eternities depend on the church of Jesus Christ multiplying and growing and helping people and continuing to take steps of faith. Because when you multiply, you come to this point where you're never satisfied with the status quo. Saying, God, I'm satisfied in you, but I know there's more in you. I know that you're bigger than I ever thought possible. I know that I can't put you in a box. I know that that Paul said in Ephesians 3.20 that you will do exceedingly and abundantly above anything that we could ever ask for or imagine at the power that is at work within us. And that's the power of Jesus. See that? The power more than you could ask for or imagine that you can see. God can do more. I think if, if there's one thing that God could do with us today is he would take us out on the deck of that ship and he would set us there and he would say, what do you see? And we'd say, water, you know, clouds. No, 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 what do you see? And he wouldn't stop until we can say, I can look farther than my eyes can see because I will not maintain. I will choose to multiply. I want to leave you with this. I want to I leave you with a clip from one of my favorite movies. May I come in? If you bend your medial collateral ligaments, place one talus in front of another, I don't see where you'd have a problem. <laughs> of course, if there were a news story covering this event, the headline might read, Small Brain Enters Room. Fingers. What's the answer? Oh, you're another one of those bright young fellows who always know the right answer. Right, huh? Welcome to real life. Never focus on the problem. Look at me. How many do you see? No. 
Look beyond the fingers. How many do you see? Eight. Eight. <laughs> Eight. Yes, yes. Eight's a good answer. See what no one else sees. See what everyone else chooses not to see. Out of fear, conformity, laziness. See the whole world anew each day. Well, the truth is you're well on the way. You didn't see something here besides a crazy, bitter old man. You wouldn't have come in the first place. I think, I think a better way to ask the question is maybe not what do you see, but who are you really looking at? Who are you fi- what are your eyes fixed on? The problem? The circumstances? The things you can't control? Are they fixed on him? Where he will only is the one that can help you see farther than what your eyes can look. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray with you. Heavenly Father, I, just, I thank you for every one of us in this room this morning. God, I thank you that you have given us not a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. That you've given us faith, Father, as a gift, the ability to look farther than our eyes can see. Lord, I I don't know what situations and circumstances are represented here this morning, but Father, you do. And Lord, you've given us the grace and the faith to make it through everything that we go through. And I just pray right now that, Father, before we leave this room, I pray that you would help us to know in deep to the deepest parts of who we are, that, Father, you're with us, number one, and that you've given us a perspective of faith. Help us to put on the lenses of faith this morning, to see you in the midst of our problems and circumstances, to see that you are greater, that you have a plan in mind, that you do know the beginning from the end, that you have, your word says you go before us and behind us and you prepare the way, that your favor acts as a shield, Father. We thank you for being faithful and being good and never leaving us nor forsaking us. And Father, I pray that you would put within inside each and every one of our hearts a vision, Father, and a dream for our lives, that we will not accept the status quo, that we would not be comfortable with just the way that things are, but Father, you would take from us the desire to maintain, and Lord, give us the faith to multiply, to see what it is that you will do, which is exceedingly and abundantly above anything that we could ask for or imagine at the power that is at work within us, and that is the power of Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us to see Jesus every day in our lives, and in every situation, and in every circumstance. And we pray this in his name. And everybody said, amen.